After a long hiatus, welcome back to ABTV Fargo. Yes, it is back, and so are we. Strap on your prosthetic face makeup and balding wig. Hold on to your stamps and watch out for falling air conditioners. We're breaking down Season 3, Episode 1, The Law of Vacant Places. Stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> We're about to get some crazy on Fargo. Oh, we are back. Yes. It feels really good. It's home a, it's again. It's home. It's a wonderfully maudlin, murder and chaos filled <laughs> home. And we have returned to it. And welcome back. We're glad to be here with you. Before we get started, real quick, our hashtag, as it was before yeah. our long hiatus, is still ABTV Fargo. You can find us wherever podcasts are provided to you, but be sure to go on to iTunes, like, subscribe, rate us five stars, tell us how much you enjoy Dave Child. Yes. I am Lex Michael, and I'm here with... I'm Dave Child. Hi. You can find me at Mr. Dave Child on Twitter or DaveChild.com. And we got a new host. Hey, hey. Ooh. I'm Tara Erickson. You guys can find me on Twitter at the Tara Erickson and YouTube.com backslash Tara Erickson. Nice, nice, yeah, nice, nice, and nice. I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. So, guys, Fargo's back. Fargo's back. Hallelujah. That's very, very exciting for me personally, yeah. as a big fan of both the series thus far and the Coen Brothers movies. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a new story. First, yeah. first chapter of a new story in this ongoing anthology. How did you guys feel about it right off the top, as both uh, the first episode of the third season of a currently existing show? And also as the opening salvo to an entirely new ordeal. Yeah, I, I love the first episodes of Fargo because it is kind of like a whole new pilot. And so it's like, okay, we're going to find out who the characters are. We're going to see where we are. And Noah Hawley loves to start off with some disorientation, like right away. Because <laughs> the one thing we know about, like, okay, so we know that it's going to take place in like 2010. And we know it's going to take place around Fargo somewhere. And it happens to just start right in 1988. In Berlin. In Berlin. And it's like, okay, now I don't know. We're inside a microphone. And then we're getting outside of a microphone. And we're in Berlin. And it's... At first, I almost thought I was watching Legion. The way it started. Yes. That little, like, zoom in. And then I was like, uh-oh. is Did I mix up my episodes? And then... <laughs> We're in Berlin. It was like, okay, we'll figure out how this ties into it later. Right. So I, I loved it. I thought it was a great start to a whole new story. Me too. I think if uh, Fargo doesn't float your boat, then I, I don't know what to say. Because no. uh, the jokes in this episode, I loved all of it. Uh, I thought it was a great opening episode. I yeah. laughed a lot, which I didn't expect to. This felt a little bit sillier and even more whimsical than the openings of the past two seasons. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of response, uh, respond people responding on like Reddit and a few other things. They've been saying it's darker. I don't think it's darker quite yet. I guess it's because of we knew it's going to have a death somewhere. Sure, it did seem sillier and funnier. Also, we're seeing like you know, Ian McGregor is two separate people. Yes, in yeah. like two in two sets of makeup, and also I love the fact that he's and we're gonna get into this later, but I love the fact that his the younger brother that he refers to himself just looks like he has not aged very well at all. I, I love the bright. It's like not only did I not get the uh, 
payoff from the inheritance that my older brother got, but I apparently have not seen fit to take care of myself. No. He's no. clearly not eating very He's well. He's been doing a lot of crack cocaine for the past whenever dad died. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a long time. Like. That's a lot of crack it's cocaine. Tough. It's been tough. Well, the older brother's maybe just been on cocaine. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> There's been crack and then cocaine. Okay. That's kind of the two the two brothers. But so this image of the two brothers uh, was if uh, an interview with Noah Hawley that I read is to be believed. If the man himself can in fact be trusted, that was right. the image he started with. And he talked about, and I, I do not remember where I read this interview, but he was talking about how uh, the initial ideas for all three seasons of Fargo so far began with a single image. I'm getting all mm. lispy. Full disclosure, guys, if you're listening, I just started Invisalign and I'm still learning how to talk around my chompers. <laughs> okay. All now, right. now you've given that, that Easter egg, so they're now looking all... for the Invisalign moments. Exactly. You, you sound fine. You exactly. sound beautiful. So, I feel it. <laughs> so, all right. The first season, he says, his first image, it's getting worse. Uh, his first image was the image of uh, Martin Freeman's character and Billy Bob Thornton's character sitting in the hospital together. He didn't quite yeah. know who these guys were yet. Mm -hmm. But this figure, uh, this ordinary guy and a figure of total dark malevolence sitting together in an emergency room. Season two, it was the image of a woman driving her car with a dead body through the windshield going home to make dinner for her husband. Mm. And he talks about how during post-production on season two, he falls asleep in the middle of the afternoon and he sees this image in his head of two brothers that are both played by the same actor and they were arguing over a stamp. Right. And he asked himself, what comes next? Yeah, that's perfect. It's perfect for Fargo because there's reoccurring themes that keep coming up in these different seasons and these different stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, one reoccurring theme seems to be this kind of masculine macho trying to provide and not being able to and kind of one struggling person who's made some very bad choices in life yep. versus someone who's been very successful at what they do. Yeah. And it seems to always have like that battle between wanting money and not having money and providing for a family and not being able to. We've seen that with William H. Macy yep. and Martin Freeman and now we have it with the uh, Ian McGregor. I think their names. We're still learning names it's here. It's Emmett and Ray, Ray. Stussy. Yeah. So yeah. Ray is Ray wants to get a ring for his his girlfriend fiance. Yes, Nikki Swango. Yeah, Nikki, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which is tremendous. By the way, I'm, I, it's maybe too early to call it for the season MVP of this episode. Oh yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh she because it is interesting to always have. I'm always wondering where the, especially the female characters in the Fargo universe mm -hmm. are kind of, kind of like land. Yeah. Because sometimes they could be really manipulative of their significant others. Mm -hmm. Like we got that from Kirsten Dunst from the other one, just trying to kind of push them to, to go down the wrong path. Or they could be like a very strong, solitary, I don't need anyone in my life to help me. Like most of the uh, the cop characters that like Molly and Marge yeah. in the past. Or they can be kind of somewhere in between. And this is a whole, I feel like a whole new character who is actually in love with Ray, but is still very selfish in her own way. You see a lot of different shades to this relationship. You get the sense that she does love him. But that she's also several steps ahead of him. Right. And I don't, even though I do buy there's affection there, I don't know about either one of you, I also have no problem believing that if she sees an endgame for herself in oh. stabbing him in the back, she she's won't hesitate out. to do so. I yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that that might be, that is very true. But I also like how Ray isn't, 
isn't quite like uh, I'm forgetting his name, but Kirsten Dunn's husband in the in the previous season who just wanted to do right, but then was kind of sent down the wrong path. Right, right. Ray he's, is different. Yeah, Ray's someone who's like he's just trying to provide. He's more like the William H Macy Martin Freeman character who is like I'm gonna provide. I'm gonna do what I have. I've owed what's right. I feel like there's a line at one point. That says, like, are you going to do what's right here, or are you going to do what's right? That sounded so familiar. And I'm curious, and by the way, we are paying attention to the chat, so if anyone wants to talk to us, uh, I hope it's working. Maybe the stream isn't working. But if it is working, please talk to us and let us know. Uh, ask us any questions. But, okay, it is working. So, I feel like the, are you going to do what's right, or are you going to do what's right, sounded so familiar that I feel like it's either from Fargo, the show. It sounds very Fargo-y. Yeah, it's just, it fits into the Fargo universe so well. So that's kind of where we are in this in this show, where we're following these two main characters, and one is successful, one's the other, one isn't, but they're still wrapped up in their own kind of problems. Sure. So um, I guess let's start off before we go too far about this the teaser. I really want to talk about this opening because I yeah. feel like there is a huge amount to unpack there. Yeah. So it starts off where one guy I forget his I don't didn't write down his name is is stuck in talking to uh, is uh, in East Berlin. It is East, East Berlin. It's uh, it's Berlin, nineteen eighty eight, and yeah. it's a man mistaken for a man by the name of, of Yuri. Yuri Gurka. Yeah, who strangled his girlfriend Helga. And Yuri, we all we know is that he's 20 years old, and that's 1988, and he's missing. Now, the biggest thing we can get from this is, oh, where is Yuri? Sure. I feel like that's maybe the what's being put down. It might not be what ends up being the how this all ties, how our Fargo actually ties back to Berlin. But it seems like there it could, is a question of Yuri is somewhere in Fargo. Sure. Or somewhere in... Uh, in this Fargo universe back in... Uh, well, we know we know. last season, too, we had this very cryptic prologue that didn't pay off mm-hmm. almost till the end of the season. But yeah. you you mentioned how the trippy visuals right up top made you feel like, am I in the right... Is this the right yeah, yeah. show? But as soon as we get into that interaction, I went, oh, no, this is absolutely Fargo because suddenly we have Cohenisms left and right. We've got the mistaken identity, which is which is a big feature in this episode, this idea mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. somebody being mistaken for somebody else, yes. which was the crux of the issues in Big Lebowski, for example. True. This faulty bureaucracy that this poor guy is dealing with in Berlin that felt very much to me like a scene out of Burn After Reading. And then the very cryptic, disconnected nature of this prologue, especially with Michael Stuhlbarg being a presence in this season, yeah. reminded me very much of the weird, cryptic, disconnected prologue in A Serious Man. Yeah, that's one thing. that I think this is the first time in the Fargo show that we actually have an actor who it was a lead in a Coen Brothers movie, mm-hmm. which is a serious man and Michael Stahlberg, he plays Cy in this, who's kind of the uh, Mary, Mary Winstead to uh, the older brother. To Emmett. To Emmett. And I love, too, that Cy was the name of Fred Melamed's character in that movie, who is Michael Stuhlbarg's uh, nemesis of sorts. Right. So that's, uh, that's a fun Easter egg. But one of the... They lay out a lot in this opening scene. Yeah. And while you're busy going, what what is happening and what does this have to do with the two years of programming I watched and the year of programming I'm about to watch? And I think it's all, it's this thematic business that you and I like to dig at. Noah Hawley has said that this season, he really wants to 
break apart this uh, this is based on a true story. What, what follows is a true story. Right. That's the crux of the conversation that they have in this first scene. Is like you're just buying into a story about yourself. Yeah. If you notice the uh, the text that says this is lisping again his teeth, uh, <laughs> what follows is a true story. That fades out, but the word story holds for just a second. So it just it's this is a story, and then it's just a story that fades away. That's that's the opening, which I thought was interesting. That that's how it breaks down. Yeah, and the narrative is a big theme that I think we're gonna and controlling the narrative and who controls the narrative. Yes, and what the story is, and we see that even later with with Emmett, um, and when Emmett confronts is. Uh, the, the people that he... Okay, for one, we used to say who Emmett is. Emmett yes. Stussy is the king of parking lots. Yes, the parking lot king of Minnesota. Which, by the way, is a great Fargo thing because parking lots seem to always come back. We see it in the movie and we see it in the previous seasons where people tend to die in parking lots. So I love that we're now met with the king of parking and, lots. And Holly has said it, his logic is, well, everyone has to park. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Parking lot king. He's the parking lot king. And also, I noticed there was... Uh, I'll get to it a little bit later. But there is a moment... No, I'll say it now. When Ray <laughs> when Ray parks behind the bar, I had this moment where I was like, oh, that's interesting how he's parking right next to a car that is askew and is not following the laws of the parking lot. But Ray follows the laws of the parking lot. But it ends up... So the car's... And we find out later that one of the cars is... Uh, I think... Is his name Maurice? The guy who, the bumbling... Scoop McNary's character, yes. Yeah, Scoop yes. McNary. One Maurice of the cars is Maurice, and this is our introduction to Maurice. His car is parked like this, where all the lines are going like this. And then Ray comes in and parks like this, and it makes it so he's parking right, and Maurice is parking wrong, but they're both kind of assholes, like, because yeah. they're they're both kind of not, they're not making it so the parking lot is like... So anyways... I just thought that was, I know that's a rabbit hole, but I was like, ooh, and we're talking about parking lots, and we're talking about rules, and we're talking about, so back to Ray. Um, they both deserve the ace hole the yes. driver. Yes. Yeah, yes, they're both yes, ace yes. holes. Got yeah. it. Sure. Uh, and uh, so Ray is talking to, uh, he borrowed money, him and Cy borrowed money, um, and this is 2010, so it's right after a pretty big recession. Yes. And it's uh, where a lot of, like, troubled businesses and apparently they went to get their money from a not very legit source. One of these big shady businesses that exist in this world. Yeah, that seems to be a reoccurring thing in Fargo as well, where there seems to be a lot of big shady businesses. Well, and I'm wondering, because we don't really delve too deeply into what these big organizations are beyond some of the foot soldiers we meet, essentially. Yeah. I'm wondering how it's entirely possible that that's still one entity or a couple of entities that we're seeing representatives of recurring throughout these seasons yeah. yeah i feel like every last resort is the thing that comes to fruition yeah meaning we only see the last resort right. in fargo <laughs> that's yeah. what we see and we just see these little seeds of decision right now and yeah yeah um and so they borrowed this money and now they're looking to return it mm -hmm. and bizarrely they can't seem to get a hold of anybody from this entity they borrowed from to return the money they borrowed which seems very yeah. odd if you loan somebody a million dollars wouldn't you Want that back? Clicks and buzzers. Clicks and yeah. buzzers, man. Clicks, Clicks and, buzzers. and buzzers. And they're talking to a guy named VM Varga. So yeah, David Thewlis showing up for this one oh, scene. Oh yeah, so good. His yeah. teeth, I couldn't handle it. Oh, and he's so, they they made him like 
subtly gross. Yeah. They made his uh, teeth gross. Gross, and those, yes. You could tell he doesn't wash behind his ears. There was kind of like a roughness. And everything about his performance, his physicality, his voice, his cadence is very uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. Like skin-crawly uncomfortable. Also worth noting, uh, David Thewlis also had a role in a Coen Brothers movie. He was, I don't remember the character name, but in Big Lebowski, he's that weird giggling artist guy. Oh. Oh. Oh, great. That works with... Uh... With Mark, with, with Julian Morris, yeah, character. Julian Morris. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and he says his name VM Varga. I thought it was VM Vulgar at first. I wrote down Vulgar, and then I looked it up on IMDb. And I'm like, oh, it's Varga. He has a thick accent, and all these other characters are being like, well, where are you from? And he says he's from America, which is great because it's just so a lie bad. right away. Yeah, you know it's a lie, or at least. If it's not a lie, then you have to explain the accent a little bit, but he doesn't want to reveal anything about who he is or where he's coming from. Well, right. I feel like more than a lie, it's a conversation ender. Yeah. Like, they know he's not from America. He knows they know, but that's it. This line of questioning ends right here. Let's move on. Right. Yeah. That was the one moment where it slowed down. It pulled back on them, too, just standing there, and they shared a look right after he was like, America, and they were like, I don't think you would ever give that look if you were in front of a a lone person ever in the presence, in their presence, right? But they did because they were like, what the? If that was my lone guy, if it was Varga that showed up to collect the loan, I feel like I would react fairly similarly. Really? I would be, I would be so deeply uncomfortable. I would be, what is this? What is this man? Yeah, he also showed up out of nowhere because they they called a a number that was just clicks and and buzzes. And they couldn't really leave a message, but then the next day someone appears. Yes. Yeah. And he tells them, this was not a loan. It was an investment. Right. We have been studying your business for a year. We're essentially going to be using you as a front for whatever it is we're doing. And he's not specific about that. And it seems like yeah. he has no intention of being specific about it. But it's like, all right, you are now, it's like tough, tough Emmett, you are now on the hook for whatever entity it is that he speaks for. Yeah, it sounds like it's clearly money laundry, right? It's clearly money laundering. Yeah, because it was very much like, we'll tell you how we're going to bring in funds. And they've been studying cash flow. Yeah, there'll be a few thousand a month, and then we'll tell you what to do, and then you come back. It's all very simple. Don't worry, but you're... You're now a criminal. Yeah. Is, but there's also obviously going to be something completely oddly attached to obviously the laundering that I right. think we'll find out. I can't wait to see how this goes very poorly. Yeah, really badly. Because a big big part of this show is like, okay, this is going to go poorly. But that's not enough in this show. It's not enough for all ten episodes of this. This is, has to be the first thing that goes wrong. It's just one little piece of the puzzle. And it's also we're getting some storylines because we have, uh, this is Emmett's storyline. We're, we're not even talking about what's happening with Ray yet. Right. But it's how is Ray's storyline going to conflict with Emmett's and really kind of bumble up. Yes. And uh, so going back a little bit before Vargas yeah. shows up, and Vargas, I assume, of course, it's only going to be a matter of time before these storylines intersect as they do, these seasons so far have all been about these different communities being brought together by these bizarre, terrible events, and it's usually a little crime. Then the effect ripples, and this far bigger, shady happenstance gets connected to it somehow. So we'll see yeah. how long it takes for them to get to that point this season. But going back a little bit to the two brothers, there's a scene where they're having a birthday party for Emmett's wife, and he tells a story about how they met. And I took notes on this story 
uh, it's, uh, where is it? He gives a toast about how he met his wife, and uh, they were living, he was living in the same apartment where she used to live. And, you know, she lets herself in because she still has the key, and then, like, you know, a week later she had moved herself in. Right. The, uh, the prologue that we saw was about a man who was essentially cursed by moving into a killer's apartment, more or less. And getting addresses wrong also plays a major role in Maurice eventually killing poor Ennis. True. Being mm. in the wrong place uh, when the, being in the wrong house specifically is comes up three times Yes, oh. in this. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Um, That's awesome. And so Cy tells Ray that he has five minutes with his brother. He sits down because he wants some money to get a ring for Nikki, but we learn about their backstory and their relationship a little bit, how when they were younger and their father died, they essentially made a trade where Ray would get the red Corvette, Ugh. not thinking very long term, mm -hmm. and Emmett would get the stamp collection, which he was able to parlay into a great amount of money. Yes. Right, because Ray does crack cocaine. Because Just taking it back. And that yeah. totally goes with the Corvette. Expensive habit. I don't know if it's crack cocaine as much as he <laughs> he lives in the now. He lives, he in, lives the moment, in the now. Which means probably a lot of drinking yes. and a lot of partying and not... And investing. then he was like, ah, Corvette, no stamps. Yeah. Corvette, yeah. I'm going to look cool. It's going to have an ace hole in the back. I'm going to drive around, get a pretty lady, and I'm going to be great. Live the dream. And I'll just be a parole officer, and that's all I need. Corvette, no stamps. Yeah. Hashtag Corvette, no stamps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, if you were an avid watcher of season two of Fargo, you may have also noticed the image on the framed stamp on the wall. What was it? S Sisyphus pushing the boulder. Great, which is also very <laughs> serious man as well. And it's also, it was referenced in the season two, a lot of the season two, like, uh, titles. It was all, like, deep cut mythology and philosophy Yeah, stuff. the titles of, of season two were philosophy, mythology. We had to, like, do deep research every single time to be like, <laughs> all right, what does this title this mean? do, yeah. The titles of this season uh, has different meanings and it seems like they're all laws and rules of some sort yes yes so i don't should we bring up what this title is or should we wait a little bit let's because we're gonna get a, let's maybe, maybe the Ray's. sexiest bridge sequence ever committed to film yeah. uh let's ah. let's get to it momentarily okay cool of course emmett is not forthcoming with what ray believes that he is deserving of and so he unbeknownst to anyone else, goes to Maurice, who, by the way, Scoot McNary, uh, wonderful actor, big resume. I really yeah. like any time he shows up for a minute and then dies. That's a thing he does right. from time to time. He does a great... He's just a great Steve Buscemi in this. He's yes. a great, like, Steve Buscemi-type character. That's another thing that is reoccurring. There's usually one psychopath <laughs> in the show, <laughs> and then there's one bumbling criminal loudmouth who's just trying to get his job done as a criminal yeah just focus on that he maybe talks a bit too much he's not very smart and he just wants to get the job done and he's a wrench in the works of the of the smarter people around him that are trying to kind of put stuff together or not even the smarter people but just slightly more competent people right yeah. and he's the one that messes up and that's what causes the the steam rolling and he wants the simplest of things just to yeah. go to the bar and drink some beers that's yeah. it yeah messes it all up that's all he wants to do so and that and so he he makes this uh, this agreement to steal the prized stamp from ray's brother and he makes this yeah. agreement so that ray will essentially junk a failed p-test document yeah sidebar 
what a what a pleasant pee montage that we got in this oh, episode. Oh yeah, and the cross Refreshing. dissolve with even a bigger pee thing, and the oh, oh yeah, I was like, I gotta take a break. Yeah, yeah truly. Yeah, it looked it looked refreshing. It looked just like it wasn't even. What's up with the non-yellow? I'm like, come on, we pee yellower than that, right? They, they drink a, a lot, lot of water. water. <laughs> they drink a lot of I water. Know you guys are, yeah. I did not think you'd both come back. I mean, we all. <laughs> it's a well-hydrated <laughs> corner they're of the country. All, I, apparently, every single one of them. Yeah, apparently, yeah. It is weird that they're like pro criminals. Give me a break. They're, not, they're peeing out be, red, how orange gonna, colors. No, there should be some gonna, dark bronze. Give me going yes. On there. Thank no, you. You got to stay amber. hydrated to do all of that crime. They stay hydrated with beer and beer does not come out clear. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. They know they're going to pee for the parole thing, True. so they so have to drink not, a lot uh, of water. They're not, they know what's up. Okay, yeah. fine, fine, fine. Give it to the criminals. <laughs> they drink a lot of water. Give Whatever, the criminals guys. some. They're trying to reform and so that means drinking a lot of water. Okay, got it. Yeah. I, I will say the... Uh, how that montage was executed reminded me a lot of some of the imagery on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So I thought it was interesting that they refer to this character, a collector named Ermintrout, which is Mike's last name. Huh. I don't know that there's actually anything there, but I keyed in on that. I was like, huh, well, they're great if it's in the same universe. It turns out. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but it's like, uh, maybe they're fans and maybe I'm reading too much into something that that isn't there. But yeah, so they make this agreement and Maurice is going to go steal the stamp. He's on the phone with his shrink, which I liked, by the way. Yeah. I liked oh, that this so burnout bad. is at least he's trying to better himself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But it also adds in another character who's not a part of the story yet, but whose voice is heard. So I'm curious to see if the shrink is going to come in in future episodes. Could yeah. be. Because we just hear his voice, and I feel like they're building up. It's important to know, I think when you're watching, especially Fargo now, we've gone through three seasons. We've gone through a movie. We kind of know that. This isn't going to go right. So as you're watching it, you're like, okay, this is going to come up later. This is going to come up later. And one of those things is him talking on the phone with a shrink as he's headed to where he's going, which is, I think, kind of planting a seed. And also, when he goes into the gas station Mm -hmm. and he has a confrontation with the clerk of the gas station, Mm -hmm. we're definitely seeing that gas station clerk at least... Next episode, or maybe two episodes down the line. Someone's got to ask him a question or two. Yeah, he's going to pop up again super quick. Yes. Because he's making a scene with this guy. And I think he's making a scene, and he's also kind of, he'll be the connecting the dots to the story of of why he showed up at this other uh, Tussie? Sussie? Sussie? Stussy, Stussy, oh, Stussy, yeah, at the okay. wrong Stussy, and it's Stussy who's the wrong Stussy because otherwise it's just a random crime, right? That wouldn't have any link, and the only the only like seed of evidence is this gas station guy, right? And so, uh, like the dude does in Big Lebowski, he drops his joint as he's starting to light up, loses the address, says, yeah, "Oh, drops the joint in mm-hmm. his in his lap." So, like, like I've got it, Lebowski. and of course, ends up in the wrong place, which is where this story intersects with our new police officer character, yeah. Who is uh, yes, Gloria, Gloria. Burgle, Gloria Played by Carrie Coon, who, if you guys are listening or you guys here talking to me right now, mm-hmm. if you guys have not watched The Leftovers, I haven't. Oh my goodness gracious, Gravy. You know what? You gotta watch The Leftovers. Man. I'm waiting she till it is astounding. I can't wait really? till The okay. Leftovers is done because I'm a big burned on lost guy. So I'm like, Fair. let me know if all the answers, everything is answered, then I'll watch it. I'm just going to wait till tomorrow. Watch I'll watch it tomorrow. Oh, okay, this guy, okay. I mean, give me a break. I have so many things to watch yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have something to talk about uh, with Gloria. Yes. 
because there's a great interview with Noah Hawley on Uproxx, which I suggest everyone looks up, and uh, maybe we'll put a link in the comments to how to find that. But um, Noah was asked, what's the difference between Gloria and Molly and Marge? Because we're used to the, the this cop character who's a lady and is kind of going to be the lead force of this. How is she going to be different from Molly and Marge in the past? And this is what he said. Uh, Both Marge and Molly lived in the small town bubble, and they came from a life that wasn't luxurious, but everything made sense. And then, over the course of the story, they were introduced to the idea that not everything made sense, and and how were they going to cope with that. Gloria, from the beginning, is living in a world where things don't make sense. Her husband left her for another man. Yep. She's chief of police, but she's losing that title, so she's sort of both chief and not chief at the same time. Is a department merger happening? Yeah, she's starting to share custody of her son, and then her stepfather's killed. So in the first hour, and certainly going into the second hour, I think she's feeling like the rug's being pulled out from under her, and she has, obviously, a layer of Minnesota nice, but she's a little grippier? Gripier? Gripier. A little more stubborn, has a little harder edge to her, and her heart's a little more more on her sleeve. She can't cover it as well as these other women, which I think is a great. Yeah, as soon as I read that, I'm like, I'm gonna have to read that on the air just because that's like showing the difference between Marge and Molly like perfectly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And doesn't hesitate either. Very instantly kicks into gear, pulls that shotgun out as soon as she thinks somebody's still in the house. Like she, you don't get to see her kick too much ass because Scoot McNary's already. Gone from He's the place. Out of there, yeah. But having spent only this little amount of time with her, I don't doubt for a second no. that she'd be more than capable oh. of taking care of that situation. That moment was badass in it in and of itself. With her kid being like, "No, mom," and she's like, I, "I'm chief. I gotta." Yeah. You know, she gets back there, and I'm like, "Yes." Yeah. And and not too terribly much ground is covered beyond the broad strokes that we just laid out as we set up her character and we set up her story arc. Yeah. The one the one big thing that doesn't directly obviously tie into what our ongoing story is going to be is the unexpected discovery that she makes under the floorboards yeah these, yeah these sci-fi novels the I, sci- yeah well i felt like it they're the kids and that was like his way maybe and i might be totally off but it was like his grandpa because the kid was reading a book in the car and she's right. like i don't know how you probably get sick with those and i'm like maybe the grandpa's saving his kids the grandson's books to like get to know him better and then recreating those little carve outs for him to build a relationship because he's awful at it. But right. I, I actually, I think that's definitely true as far as his motivation giving the gift to the grandson. I, yes. That totally tracks for me. Yeah. But the kid didn't seem to understand what the little You're sculpture right. was. Right. That's true. And also, he was reading um, He was reading his phone. He was reading oh, his okay. phone in the book. He in was the, in, the in the car. Okay, got it. Um, and I think, I think what we're going to find out is that there's... A link. Now, I'm curious about whether he wrote those books. Like, maybe he has a something. It's it, it's hints at the backstory of this of the stepfather character, step grandfather. You also have to remember he's a stepfather. Yes, because yeah. he doesn't have the same name, and she kind of sets that up. So, did he write these? Is he keeping these books? I'm curious if maybe these books they they're collectible. Because it seems a lot like the stamps, and they're, they're, in, a, they're in a lockbox. You know yeah, what I mean? Like you don't, box, you don't keep is, no. any random like two dollar paperback you got at the store in a lockbox under your floor. Yeah, right. uh, we do have on the chat. Uh, Anna Bliss says this is where my friend thinks it might tie back into Berlin in some way. That's oh yeah, that's that yeah that makes a good point. But mm-hmm. we also have to remember 
if it's Yuri, then it won't tie into Yuri himself because we're looking for Yuri. We might not find Yuri, but if Yuri's around, he's 20 years old in 1988, so he would be about 42 in 2010, which links up more with the Ewan McGregor's than it does with anyone else. So, but those are two people, so that's interesting. Yeah. But it could be like the guy who's being accused. Sure. It could be that guy. That could be this uh, this grandfather character. Could be the guy we see who's being interviewed in the in the past. So that's an option too. The uh, the other thing on a meta level that it sparked in my brain is that uh, Holly is developing a series i believe still based on vonnegut's cat's cradle so we know awesome. he's a he's an avowed vonnegut fan and yeah you see it a lot in his work but yeah. i'm wondering it, it made me think of um if you guys have read vonnegut it made me think of kilgore trout the author character that vonnegut created who goes on these adventures but writes these very bizarre way far beyond out there sci-fi stories yeah also we have to we have to notice the link to season two which has this kind of underlining sci-fi theme to everything. Underlying? Yeah. <laughs> we straight up see some UFOs we at see one some point. UFOs. Yeah. Also, someone on Reddit pointed out, and I'll try to show these pictures online. Maybe I'll post them on my Twitter, so you have to follow me to see it. At MR Dave Child. But someone on, on Reddit discovered that if you freeze frame what's happening on, on the TV, which it seems like a general UFO show... But if you freeze frame, it's actually a still image of the UFOs flying over the season two. So it's actually, it looks like he's watching season two of Fargo on the TV. I like it. Once it gets, once it gets like uh, uh, blacked out. So I'll include that, but someone on Reddit found that and that's amazing. I don't think we'll touch aliens any more than these little hints. But it would be interesting if they went back to the alien storyline, but I kind of hope they don't. There, There is a part of me that doesn't want Fargo to become a story that is also about aliens. Right. But then there's an equally large part of me that wants every story to be a story about aliens. Yeah. So. Yeah. And also, I think I'm curious to see what the weirdness will be in this season. Because we have the frogs in the first season. We have the aliens in the second one. We're going to have weirdness in this one. Yeah. Um, there is something that they're setting up that I saw in a preview when they were teasing the show. So maybe we, when we get to predictions, we hit that? Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Because okay. what we got to talk about, you guys, is some bridge. Yeah. Okay, so the plan that Ray and uh, Nikki do have is that they're going to partner together and they're going to make a bunch of money in the competitive bridge circuit. Yeah. And we get, I okay, full disclosure. Did I've anyone never, know there was a competitive bridge circuit? Nope. I did not. We know now. I've never played Bridge. I know essentially nothing about the game. I feel like I'm now not cool unless I learn Bridge. That's how... Really? That's how... I feel cooler not knowing. Really? Yeah, I, I, no. I really do. No. The way, the way Holly had this shot, man. They glamorized Bridge. I'm sold. They glamorized... You've sold me the game of Bridge, sir. Well done. I think they glamorized Nikki playing Bridge. Yeah, I think you just are in love with her. Yeah. The cards in the combo. It's like the Pavlov thing. That might be a little Why is she slumming with all these terrible people? Terrible people. She's like the hottest chick in there. I was like, look at all these 80-year-olds and then her. And they're just all like kind of perving on her, too. You get like a little bit of the the close-up suit. Oh, God. Off. I mean, we're kind of rooting for Ray this whole time, so it's there is a Ray underdog feeling 
Yes. For and so we're kind of like, oh, it's great that Ray's with her, but we're also worried about him as well. Anyway. Right. So, speaking of bridge, bridge, we do before we have to get to the last few beats of the episode and, and wrap ourselves. We need to talk about the episode of uh, or the title rather the of, of this episode. Yeah, the law of vacant places is a term from Bridge where they talk about predicting, and this is my limited understanding of Bridge. I've only played it a couple times, and I'm not too sure. But what it is is uh, predicting the what's missing and also what's in another person's hand, but mostly what's missing from another person's hand. Mm-hmm. That's why it's like the law of vacant places is what's missing and predicting ahead and predicting what's forward. Now... We can look at how that plays into the rest of the episode, especially what happens in the following scene of the big climactic stuff that we have to get to because we don't have very much time, is how Mary predicts when someone gets to a certain spot and maybe something is dropped on them, which is the air conditioner. So she kind of uses the law of vacant spaces for figuring out when he's Mm -hmm. going to fall right underneath the air conditioner when Maurice is going to be, you know, right? Maurice. Yes. And which happens in the following scene when Maurice confronts Mary, uh, I'm sorry, Nikki and Ray in the bathtub right after this, right after their victory of coming in third at the bridge tournament. In I the love Olympics, that they're so happy about That's it. bronze. That's bronze, which finally we see the bronze here and not in the pee, as it should have been. <laughs> um, but so... <laughs> So Maurice confronts and reveals his mistake and kind of says, you better give me $5,000 Yes, or I'm going to go to the police. He stumbles out of there. Because let's let one significant detail that we've largely skipped over is that Ray is a parole officer. There are yeah. a number of things that he's involved with beyond just having Maurice accidentally murder somebody that right. he should not be doing. The very nature of his relationship with Nikki is entirely forbidden because of his professional standing. This is not something he wants anyone asking questions about on more tiers than just the immediately obvious. Yeah. I got a little distracted because I saw in the in the chat someone was saying it was like I was watching Casino Royale. Treehouse in the chat said that. And that was talking about the bridge. And I do have to just shout out to how he shot that what you were what you were saying about making it look cool was it does look like they're like playing poker and it's really badass even though they're just scummy Minnesota dudes. Yep. Yep. Surrounding it. Anyway. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the screen shot in the pole, yeah. That's yeah. good. We also got to talk about when the air conditioner falls. Yes. We see from the perspective from the POV of the air at the air which also felt very breaking bad to me. Also Big Lebowski. Yes, when, with the bowling ball. With the bowling yes. ball where yep. the bowling balls you see the perspective of it. I thought that was kind of a nice little Coen Brothers nod as well. Um this show is just great. I love this show so much. <laughs> I think there's plenty that we kind of skipped over. But it's a lot. This this episode was a huge amount of table setting. Yeah. Now the table is set and I feel like we can we can run, we can play, we can be skeezed out by David Thewlis for nine more hours of programming. Sure. Because that is that is the note the episode ends on. They drop this AC on this guy, splat, he's gone. Nikki's gonna lie to the cops, tells Ray to get out of there. But of course, we now know that they're on these paths. These people that didn't mean to be overtly evil, made some mistakes, got in way over their heads. It's Fargo. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. So let's get into predictions real quick, if we're all cool with that. I think so. Sure. And now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. Okay, what do you think? Oh, I go first? 
You don't okay. have to. We can go first. Yeah, just you guys do it. <laughs> okay. See, it's, your, right. it's your deal. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think there's a lot of hanging chads on this. I think there's a lot of <laughs> loose threads. Um, the biggest one I saw was that there's a lot of notice spent to Ray kicking the air conditioner with his bare foot, mm-hmm. which, I mean, if that doesn't have a footprint on it, it's true. I think that's, I think that's going to be, and also it's like a guy's footprint too. Yep. So I think it's going to seem like, wait a minute, this isn't yours. Well, even if there's no print, if they, if there's enough of that grill left that they can figure out a foot smashed it, they can yeah. look at her feet pretty quickly and go, someone else was here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. That's a big loose thread. We also have, I don't think the missing, I don't think the little piece of paper that got lost on the side of the road will come back, but I do like how that was very reminiscent of uh, losing things on the side of the road, which seems to always happen in Fargo. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I guess, and I think we're going to see the gas station attended, because we've seen him in previews, but also I think he's going to come back and kind of be faced with what's happening. All right. Yeah. I like it. I just think we're going to see a lot more of Nikki. I feel like she's going to be just a complete train wreck, but yet save the day always at the same time. Right. Uh, Meaning she's just going to blow up stuff, but uh, it's all going to be for the good of whoever she's with. I feel like it's for for herself. Yeah. For her, but also I feel like it's that push and pull of like, I think that she does love Ray. I. She is for herself, but I'm like, ah, there's still a tinge of me that she wants it, not just of her, but for both of yeah. them. I do think that if she found someone better, it would yes. it would be more so for the both of them, eh, but it's still 50-50, her and Ray. I, I feel like she's going to blow some stuff up for the both of them until she finds somebody better. Yeah, I think she's happy to be loved. I don't think it's like necessary that she's in love with Ray. I think she just wants to be loved. Sure. So, which is... We're going to see. We're going to see if the everybody bears you guys mm-hmm. out. I'm also curious to see how I think they're they're starting to introduce a theme of feet and house shoes. Oh my god, that cracked me up. Yeah, because Babe. Oh my gosh, that moment. It was so intense, like you forgot your house shoes. I wrote that down in my Also, we gotta remember the last image we see in Berlin in nineteen eighty eight was that guy having to be forced out of his house wearing messed up house shoes, which look very similar. To Emmett's later on. Not the same house shoes. They're a little different, but they're very similar. Dude, I love it. Yeah. I so. love more more house shoes. House shoes for everybody. House shoes all day. I predict, guys, that we are going to be back here every week breaking down a new episode of season three of Fargo. I'm sure there's going to be a lot to dig through. These tend to be very intricate tapestries of storytelling and theme. Until we reconvene, Mr. Dave Child, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at Mr. Dave Child on Twitter or DaveChild.com. I'm Dave Child. And guys, I'm Tara Erickson. You can find me on Twitter at the Tara Erickson or YouTube.com Tara Erickson. And I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Please tune in next week as we break down episode two. We will see you then. Mwah, big kiss. From executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Turn this B word around. The views expressed herein are those of the host only. Do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 